Hi friend, welcome to Valley and View. I'm Betsy and I'm so glad you're joining us for today's conversation. On this podcast, we're just a bunch of regular people living our regular lives, which happens to include shady dark valleys, but also some pretty spectacular views. So that's what we'll be talking about here. The lowest of lows, the highest of highs, and the lessons we've gleaned from the proverbial hike of life in hopes that it can encourage you along your proverbial hike as well. No matter where you are on your journey, we're glad you're joining us on ours. Before we get started, I do just want to drop a little disclaimer. The conversations you're about to hear are based on our personal experiences and relationships. We hope you hear something in these conversations that spark an idea, an emotion, or even breakthrough in some way. But please, do not take our words as gospel truth. That can only be found in one place. So let these conversations enter your hearts and minds, but let the Lord speak to you in ways that only He can. All right, you ready? Let's go. Hey y'all, welcome back to another episode of Valley and Few. I'm Betsy, and if this is your first time joining, welcome. Glad you're here. Glad you found us, stumbled upon us, was sent the link, forced to listen, I don't know. Um, and also glad you're with us if this is your 10th or 12th or 14th. Um, yeah, we have more than 14 episodes uh, listening. So anyways, um, if you're listening to this on the day that it releases, I just feel like I need to say... May the fourth be with you, even though I've never actually seen a Star Wars movie in my entire life. And I think I could only name like two characters and they're the famous ones, Darth Vader and Luke Skywalker, maybe. And then the girl with the space buns. And I'm probably offending so many people right now, so I'm actually just going to stop. But anyways, today we're going to be talking about plays from the enemy's playbook. And um, you're going to be getting me solo for the month of May because, well, I just have a lot to say about this because it has just been showing up in my life and I just feel the need to share. So uh, pros to only getting me for the month of May is that hopefully you're getting a little bit better sound quality because I am recording in my little teeny tiny closet and I don't usually record with friends in here. Technically, I think I could probably get like two or three other people in here comfortably, but um, might be a little awkward. Cons to just me recording by myself for the month of May. It's just me. So if you enjoy hearing from my friends more than me, which I totally understand because they're all great, well, then we'll see you back in June. But I do hope you'll stick around because this month I'm just going like full send into giving you plays from the enemy's playbook. Um, And they're just like little day to day things that are really just getting on my nerves, but they're also getting me and you every single day. Um, This was never the plan uh, to do this type of series or even to like do a whole four weeks by myself. Um, I actually had other people scheduled and I was like, you know what, this isn't working out and I feel really inclined to speak on this. So I think that's you, Lord, right? Um, But I'll be honest, over the past few weeks, I've been really down about the podcast Um, And just like this whole thing. And it's just been like your typical self-sabotaging thoughts. Like, does this even matter? What do people think? Um, Okay, I think people probably think this is super lame. Is my input worth the output? Because there is a lot of input. Um, And is it even worth it all? Um, And so that's just been like on constant repeat in my mind. And after having this internal conversation and conflict with myself and 
Um, also a few times with Allie because she pretty much knows everything about me. Uh, which side note, if there's not at least one other human on this planet that knows 99% of you, I would highly recommend. I'm here to tell somebody that, that you need to go more deep than wide with your friends. But like I said, after having this conversation with myself and Allie and like semi halfway the Lord, I decided that the Lord was leading me to take a month off from recording, editing, publishing, planning, and whatever the heck else I do during the week to get one podcast episode into the airwaves because I was exhausted and it's time consuming and quite honestly, I just needed a break. So I thought to myself, self, I could use the month of May to prepare, to plan, to go deeper uh, so that I have better things to say, whatever, I don't know, a sabbatical of sorts. And I was just like fully prepared to ghost y'all for the month of May and come back strong in June. Um, and that is until the Lord somehow managed to get a word to me through the noise and chaos of my mind. And it was a short word and it was quiet, but I heard it and he said, no. And once I heard no, very clearly, like when you know you've heard from the Lord, you know, um, I was like, but I thought you said, and blah, blah, blah. And then the light bulb just went off to about 10,000 lumens. And I'm like, okay, if I'm hearing God say no, and he doesn't contradict himself or go back on his words, then why am I hearing the opposite now? Well, the opposite of God is, oh my gosh, I almost let the enemy get me. And I was so mad and I was so frustrated and I'm like, but it wasn't bad. Like, it's not a bad thing. Rest is not bad. Rest is from the Lord. Why would I get tricked like this? And here's the thing about the enemy. He can and does use what God has made good and he manipulates it. Um, and we'll talk about more, more on that in a little bit. But as this light bulb was going off, God in his benevolence and power just like outed the enemy, or at least my eyes and ears and heart were finally able to recognize it. And he said, Betsy, of course he would, because I'm using this. You might not see it, and it might only be for one specific person that you will never even know, but I'm using it, so please don't stop. And I don't want anybody to get twisted. Like, this has nothing to do with my words or my abilities, um, but everything to do with who God is and his relentlessness to get his people back, um, that he would use a woman in her closet on a Tuesday night with the most budget-friendly microphone Amazon has to offer and her honey cinnamon latte sitting on the floor to carry this out and to carry out his plans. Um, but what I love about that whole conversation with the Lord is that he gave me the choice. Um, he didn't force me to keep going. He didn't force me to do this. He said, please don't stop. Like it, I could stop if I wanted to. But I was, wanting, I was so dang mad at the devil in that moment. Nothing was going to stop me. And actually, I think it's so funny that somehow every single time I have one of these like in the ring beat downs with the devil, Casey catches the brunt of it. And I had been texting her and then like all of this happened and I sent her this big long text. Um, anyway, shout out to you, Case, for always catching the enemy drama and just getting as riled up as I do. Um, but anyways, here's what I decided to do since I almost delighted the enemy by falling for his trap. For the next four weeks, I will be coming to you with a series I'm calling The Enemy's Playbook, where I tell you all of the ways that the enemy shows up in our lives on the daily and how we let him win without even knowing or thinking twice about it. 
And honestly, this series may have been in the works before I even knew it and before the podcast was even a thing. Um, So back in November last year, November 22, I started reading um, a book called The Screwtape Letters by C.S. Lewis. Um, And it had been on my to read list for a while, but always kept getting like shoved down to the bottom somehow. And I had a conversation with somebody who said he tried to read it at least once a year and always got new perspectives from it. And I thought, that was just really cool. So I fully finally pulled it up uh, to the top of the TBR list and jumped in. So it's a about a 200-ish page book with like short chapters and it's not very long, but I've seriously been reading it since November because it is just so dense. Um, but for brevity and for context, allow me to be spark notes for you for a second and give you a quick rundown. Okay. So this book, The Screwtape Letters, is written as satire and Sorry, I just said that really country. Let me say it again. Satire. Um, So if you'll remember back to ninth grade English class, satire is a genre of literature that uses irony, exaggeration, uh, ridicule to expose and criticize people's stupidity or vices. Um, And I totally just read that from Google. But um, anyone like to read The Onion? Okay, great. You understand satire and the screw tape letters. Moving on. Um, So this book is written from the enemy's perspective, and it's important to note because when I first started reading it, it was really difficult to get my mind to go there because the characters referred to who we think as the enemy, i.e. the devil, as our father, and refers to God as the enemy, which makes total sense from this perspective, but embarrassingly, it took me until like chapter 10 to get a hold of that, and then I just started the whole book over because it just totally screwed with me. And I guess that's part of the reason why they call it the screw tape letters. Um, but essentially, this book follows two demons, Screw Tape and Wormwood. And Screw Tape is a veteran demon and the uncle of Wormwood, who is an apprentice demon. So, like, think of Screw Tape as retired and Wormwood as just starting his cre- career. Throughout the book, um, Screw Tape writes letters to Wormwood, basically giving him advice on how to manipulate his patient. Um, and the patient is the human that Wormwood has been assigned to torment. Um, as a demon. So the book really just opens up layers and layers of ways that the enemy uh, wrecks havoc on our everyday lives. And like when I think of the devil, I think of bad, bad things like murder and child trafficking and exploitation of workers and slavery. And don't get me wrong, the enemy is absolutely positively commanding those things in our world. But on a micro everyday level, he's sneaking into our lives and minds and relationships and I am just outing him because I am sick and tired of it. Um, And because I love history and biographies, I want to give you a little bit of background on my man C.S. Lewis because I think his background uh, really plays into the screw tape letters. Some of you may recognize that name C.S. Lewis, and that's probably because 56% of Valley View listeners are millennials. And that's not just a made-up statistic, like I actually have access to that data. So I'm sure most of you read or watched The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe in elementary school. Honestly, one of my highlights from my fourth grade year. Uh, But that book was written by C.S. Lewis. And some of his other books are The Chronicles of Narnia, that whole series, Mere Christianity, which is like a highly regarded book in the faith, um, The Great Divorce, and just like tons and tons of other ones. But Most of his books were written out of a major life event that happened to him and that impacted him to experience God in a new way. 
Uh, and I know this because I'm a big fat nerd who watched a documentary specifically about the life of C.S. Lewis. Um, it's on YouTube and I'll link it in the show notes for your viewing pleasure. 10 out of 10 recommend. It's like one of those old ones from the 1980s that's like, you, you know the vibe, like small screen, you probably played on a VHS player, but now it's uploaded to YouTube. Anyways, go watch it. It's great. Um, I don't know for sure quantitatively, but I think The Screwtape Letters is probably one of Lewis's most famous and best-selling books. Um, so that is also just another selling point for you. You should go read it. Before we jump in and talk about how the enemy has been screwing with us all today, let's just talk about who he is and where he came from. Uh, some of us recall that way back in the beginning in Genesis, Adam and Eve were just walking around naked in the garden, having the time of their lives, and the Lord literally gave them one rule. They had one job. Do not eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And we know it didn't take long for something to go wrong because walking around naked in a garden, enjoying life is just too good to be true. So around chapter three, a little slithery snake came onto the scene, and the Bible says, Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. And for a long time, this verse has just really messed with me every time I read it for two reasons. One, scripture literally says that the Lord God had made. And two, I know that God is an intentional God and creates by design and purposefully. Therefore, if God created the snake and the snake is crafty, then God made it crafty. And what messes me up is I can't get to the bottom of why God would create something he knew would ultimately lead to a divide between him and his creation. Um, I just kind of keep circling that one. So if anybody has any answers, let me know. Um, but we're, we're staying on the enemy here. So take a few seconds and imagine when I say the devil, what images flash into your mind? Uh-huh. Yep. Probably fire, horns, one of those little um, like trident things, I think is what you call them. Uh, maybe some like nasty looking creature in a red leather bodysuit sitting on his throne in hell. Yeah, me too. Um, I think we're all thinking it. I'm just saying it out loud for you. And I think over millennia, we have just like over time played down who the enemy is when we've watered him down to a mischievous little cartoon character and that is just not who he is. Like, your enemy is real. He is real, but so is your God. So let's get back to the snake in Genesis. And instead of paraphrasing, I'm just going to give it to you straight from Genesis 3, starting in verse 1. It says, Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened and they realized that they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Okay, so here's the thing. A lot of times we read this text and think the serpent comes in all big and bad and forces Eve to eat the apple that God told her not to eat um, from the tree. But no, like read it again. The serpent just comes in like a regular Joe slithering around asking a question 
That's all he did. He all, he all he did was ask a question. He said, did God really say? But we know that he's not just asking a question. He's forming doubt in Eve's mind. And it got Eve thinking, well, maybe I did hear him wrong, or maybe I misinterpreted what he actually meant. No, wait, I'm sure. I'm sure I heard what he said. Yeah, we can't eat from that or we'll die. Okay. And then she, the serpent comes back and he's like, Psh, girl, you will not die. He only told you that because he knows that when you eat from it, you're going to be like him. And so here the enemy starts to instill the idea that God is withholding something from her. Um, and here's the thing about the enemy. He can't force us to do anything. The whole, the devil made me do it, lies. You did it because you wanted to. The enemy only suggests, he asks questions, he plays down God's power, he belittles his authority, and we have full freedom and choice to let these suggestions and questions and lies form our thoughts and actions. Um, so, based on my key takeaways from the screw tape letters and just my chaotic life in general, I'm going to give you three teeny tiny, almost undetectable ways you and I are letting the enemy win in our life in hopes that more awareness will send him packing and running back to hell where he belongs. So let's go ahead and get into tactic number one. Tactic number one, the enemy's play. This is it. The enemy wants us to keep praying to the things that we've made gods. Okay. And I know there's a lot of language in there. You hear praying and God not what you think. Okay. So there was one specific quote, um, I highlighted and hollered in my apartment all along in this book. So let me read it to you. Um, and before I read, remember retired uncle demon screw tape is writing this letter to his young hustling apprentice nephew Wormwood. Okay. And it says, but whatever the nature of the composite object, you must keep him praying to it, to the thing that he made, not to the person who has made him. Okay, one more time, a little slower for the people who missed it. But whatever the nature of the composite object, you must keep him praying to it, to the thing that he has made, not to the person who has made him. So basically in 2023 translation, what have you made a God that you're praying to instead of the one true God? And I know you're thinking like, Betty, I'm not making altars and constructing golden calves and setting up shrines. And I'm very glad to hear that. But what have you put more trust in than God? What have you put more faith in than God? What do you love more than God? That is your God. And it could literally be anything. Your job, your relationship, your lack of relationship, money, your lifestyle, your status, your car, your kids. Anything we place above God becomes God. And one of the enemy's tactics is to keep us praying to whatever that God may be instead of the God who created us and delights in us and loves us. And if you're feeling it too, same, I'm a thousand percent guilty as charged on this one. And I mean, it just happens and I don't even know what happens. Like I'll start out praying intentionally for someone or something. And as time goes by, my prayers certainly do shift from like a genuine conversation with the Lord to praying just so hard and so fervently that my focus is no longer God, but the thing I so desperately want from him. Um, and for me, it showed up in my life as praying to jobs, praying to relationships, praying to living situations. And I can't pinpoint when or how it happened, happens because it still does. Um, but it does, it happens and it's the enemy. And the fact that he can manipulate your prayer life, something we all think is good and well when we're doing it, is just like honestly so rude. 
Um, I really don't know anything about sports, but I think if you were handed the playbook for the opposing team with all of their plays, you would probably come up with a good defense. So here's your defense for this tactic. All right, number one, analyze your current prayer life. So what are you praying for? How often? What are your prayers like? If you feel like the enemy is attacking you in this area, you're really just going to have to go through your prayer life with a fine tooth comb. Um, And for me, there was definitely one area that was just blatantly obvious that I was praying to it instead of praying to God. And y'all know I have my prayer closet with my sticky notes everywhere. And after I read this, I was like, okay, is this a little G God that I'm praying to here or am I good? And I looked at all the sticky notes on my prayer wall and no lie, about half of them could be tied back to this one thing I was praying for. Like, sure enough, I was praying to it. And after I said a few explicits and repented for it right there in the prayer closet, because I was so mad, I started taking down the sticky notes that had any close tie or connection to my little G God. I took them all down and I put them in my answered prayer box and I put the box back in the top of my closet. And I just said, God... I have made this God instead of you, and I'm sorry, so you just take it all. It's all in your hands. I don't even need to pray about it anymore. And y'all, when I tell you the peace that surpasses all understanding, oh my God. Um, And one more defense that I picked up, when you pray, immediately, first thing, ask God to meet you, to protect you from any manipulations or distractions from the enemy as you talk to him, and to just go ahead and start tearing down anything that has become a God in front of him. Uh, And he'll make it clear because he wants you. And it's not always easy picking out things that you've made gods because, I mean, over time you've made them gods, so you're kind of blinded to the fact that they are gods. Um, But once you're just aware of the fact that it is a tactic of the enemy, you'll be more able to recognize it. And just remember, the enemy wants you praying to the object or thing instead of God. So just stay aware, my friends. All right, moving right along to tactic number two. Uh, Here's the play. The enemy delights in you being stagnant. And I know some of y'all out there want to raise your hand and ask, what exactly does stagnant mean? So let Miss Rumley come out of retirement for just a quick second and give you a little word study. According to my favorite uh, place to find high quality research, Google, stagnant is having no current or flow and often having an unpleasant smell as a consequence. Um, And generally, this is relating to a body of water. That being said, have you ever been in a place where you feel stuck motionless, life is passing, but also like standing still at the same time. Everything feels monotonous and the same, but you actually don't even care. You might even say you feel numb. If yes, same. And we just got played like a fiddle by the enemy. So let me read you a few excerpts on this tactic. In a letter to Wormwood, Screwtape says, you no longer need a good book, which he really likes to keep him from his prayers or his works or his sleep. A column of advertisements in yesterday's paper will do. Y'all remember, this was written in like 1940s. You can make him waste his time not only in conversation he enjoys with people whom he likes, but in conversations with those he cares nothing about on subjects that bore him. You can make him do nothing at all for long periods. You can keep him up late at night, not roistering, but staring at a dead fire in a cold room. All the healthy and outgoing activities which we want him to avoid can be inhibited and nothing given in return, so that at least he may say, as one of my own patients said on his arrival down here, I now see that I spent most of my life in doing neither what I ought nor what I liked. 
And one more. Screw tape says, but do remember the only thing that matters is the extent to which you separate the man from the enemy. Remember from screw tape, the demon's perspective, the enemy we're talking about here is God. It does not matter how small the sins are, provided that their cumulative effect is to edge the man away from the light and out into the nothing. Murder is no better than cards if cards can do the trick. Indeed, the safest road to hell is the gradual one, the gentle slope, soft underfoot, without sudden turnings, without milestones, without signposts. So here's the thing. The enemy doesn't care if you're in an entire sin spiral or if you're just stagnant doing nothing. Both will ultimately create separation between you and God. Um, And I once heard that it's impossible to be stagnant or complacent because you're either growing and moving forward or you're regressing. Because if you're doing nothing, you're regressing. And actually, Pastor Christine Kane uses this analogy I heard before. Um, She says, imagine driving a car down a road. Uh, So what do you have to do for the car to start drifting into the other lane? Nothing. For the car to drift, you don't have to make a hard turn or press the pedal to the metal. All you have to do is nothing and you will slowly, gradually start to drift. And the enemy knows that the longer you are stagnant and doing nothing, the more you will drift from the Lord and the greater the divide will become. So let's go back to the definition of stagnant. It means having no current or movement, no flow. And when we think about areas in our life where we're stagnant, some of us might be thinking, you know, our faith in general or our trust in God, our prayer life, our quiet time, our engagement in corporate worship. Um, And the enemy is for sure in those areas, but I think he's even sneakier than that. He doesn't just want to attack your faith and relationship with God, um, but he's also... I think he's coaxing us into complacency in our careers, our friendships and relationships, our finances, our generosity, uh, because we have to remember that we serve a holistic God and he cares about all areas of our life. And if he cares about all areas of our life, then the enemy will also try to get us in all areas. So that's the tactic. Here's the defense. Keep moving. And again, we have to do a little self-reflection here and ask, Where am I stagnant? What areas do I feel? Eh, what areas of my life do I need to make just a tiny ripple in the water and start to flow and grow? Um, And I think movement looks like recognizing, hey, I'm stagnant here. Like that's movement. I think movement looks like saying, hey, God, I'm stagnant here. Help me. That's a little bit of a ripple. I think movement looks like telling yourself and others, I'm stagnant here, but I want to move. And eventually those small ripples start to build momentum and movement. And the worst thing about stagnant water is that because it doesn't have a current or any flow, um, it just gets rank and it has an awful smell. And when I think about this, I think of one of my favorite trails that I walk regularly. Um, it's an island loop trail that follows a river. And most of the time on one side of the island, there's moving water and rapids and kayakers. And um, no lie, recently I saw an otter just like straight chilling, floating down the river, having the time of his life. Um, and then on the other side of the island, it's just a different story. It's just like plain stagnant water and it stinks. Um, and I love my little loop trail, but sometimes I dread making it to the other side because of the stagnant water. And there's just like no movement, no life. And to quote the Google definition has an unpleasant smell as a consequence. Um, 
And I think the stagnant areas in your life will also begin to have an unpleasant smell. They'll start to stink um, as a consequence if you don't get moving. So let this be your motivation. Where you are stagnant, the enemy is present. And tactic number three, the enemy capitalizes on your valleys. Yeah, the valleys. We knew he'd be here too. But here's the perspective real quick. Valleys are not caused directly by the enemy. Here's a few excerpts from Screw Tape written to Wormwood on this topic. And before I start reading again, just a reminder, because it took me too long to figure it out. Here, the enemy equals God and our father equals the enemy. Okay. Humans are amphibians, half spirit and half animal. The enemy, God's, determination to produce such a revolting hybrid was one of the things that determined our father to withdraw his support from him. As spirits, they belong to the eternal world, but as animals, they inhabit time. This means that while their spirit can be directed to an eternal object, their bodies, passions, and imaginations are in continual change, for to be in time means to change. Their nearest approach to constancy, therefore, is undulation, the repeated return to a level from which they repeatedly fall back, a series of troughs and peaks. If you had watched your patient carefully, you would have seen this undulation in every department of his life, his interest in his work, his affection for his friends, his physical appetites, all go up and down. As long as he lives on earth, periods of emotional and bodily richness and liveliness will alternate with periods of numbness and poverty. The dryness and dullness through which your patient is now going are not, as you fondly suppose, your workmanship. They are merely a natural phenomenon which will do us no good unless you make a good use of it. To decide what the best use of it is, you must ask what the enemy wants to make of it, and then do the opposite. Now, it may surprise you to learn that in his efforts to get permanent possession of a soul, he relies on the troughs even more than on the peaks. Here's another excerpt. We want cattle who can finally become food. He wants servants who can finally become sons. We want to suck in. He wants to give out. We are empty and would be filled. He is full and flows over. Our war aim is a world in which our father below has drawn all other beings into himself. The enemy wants a world full of beings united to him, but still distinct. You must have often wondered why the enemy does not make more use of his power to be sensibly present to human souls in any degree he chooses and at any moment. And just a couple more. I might as well just read you this whole chapter, but I think that would be copyright issues. All right, here's the next one. It is during such trough periods, much more than during the peak periods, that it is growing into the sort of creature he wants it to be. Hence, the prayers offered in the state of dryness are those which please him best. He wants them to learn to walk and must therefore take away his hand. And if only the will to walk is really there, he is pleased even with their stumbles. Do not be deceived, Wormwood. Our cause is never more in danger than when a human, no longer desiring but still intending to do our enemy's will, looks round upon a universe from which every trace of him seems to have vanished and asks why he has been forsaken and still obeys. But of course the troughs afford opportunities to our side also. I mean, dang, that'll preach, but I'm a preach too. So first of all, let's talk about these troughs and peak periods. And I know that's like old English terminology, but you may be more familiar with the terms valley and view. But we're talking about the highs and lows here. And that word undulation, uh, you heard, refers to the action of going up and down. Screw tape says there's no avoiding it. It's just a natural phenomenon. 
And we all go through ups and downs and back again and again and again over our lifetime. It just is what it is. Um, But the enemy's tactic is to ask what God wants to make of our Valley and View seasons. And then he does the opposite. So if God wants to teach me how to trust in a season, the enemy's going to ratchet up the distrust however he can. If God is asking me to move in some way, then the enemy is going to play every card to distract me in moving forward in obedience. Um, if God wants me to heal, the enemy is going to remind me and bring up every past wound. Um, and when we're at the peaks, we're often bright eyed and clear minded enough to catch this bull crap. But when we're in the troughs, the valleys, it's a lot more difficult and he knows it and he knows we're vulnerable and susceptible to even the smallest attack when we're low. And as my best friend, Al Powell likes to say, hateful heifer. Um, and it's the valleys where I'm often wondering, like, where are you, God? I don't see you. I don't hear you. I don't feel you. And the enemy uses that. And he says things like, see, he left you here in this low spot. Or if he's good, why are you going through this? And if he heard you, he would respond. And Screwtape says it's during these troughs, much more than the peaks, that God is growing us into who he wants us to be. And I especially love this quote. And I'm reading it again because it's my podcast and I can Um, It says, he wants them to learn how to walk and must therefore take away his hand. And if only the will to walk is really there, he is pleased with even their stumbles. And I just love that. And for a second, just think about this in the context of a child. Um, The parents of a child learning to walk aren't going to be disappointed and scold their child for not immediately going from crawling to standing up and walking straight with a purpose. Like that would be absolutely absurd. And we all know it. Um, And we all know them or we might be them, but what do parents do when their child takes those first couple wobbly steps and then falls on their squishy little diaper butt? They freak out in the best way and they are so proud and they holler and they cheer and they clap and they video and take pictures and post it to all their social platforms because they want everyone to know that their baby is learning to walk and they have made progress. Um, So think about what would happen if those same parents said things like, I knew you couldn't do it, or you couldn't even make it two steps. What a disappointment um, when the baby fell. My guess would be over time, the baby would just stay down because they start to believe that they actually can't and that they are in fact a disappointment. So if you are in the valley stumbling right now, know that God is pleased with those stumbles. He's proud and he's cheering you on saying, come on, I know you can do it. And if you're feeling like a failure, a disappointment, and like you can't get out of the valley, that's the enemy. So here's your defense. Be vigilant in the valley. Um, What I just read to you in the book, it says, Our cause is never more in danger than when a human no longer desiring but still intending to do God's will looks round upon a universe from which every trace of him seems to have vanished and asks why he has been forsaken and still obeys. When you don't feel God or see him or hear him, it's because he's behind you spotting your little stumbly toddler self so that when you fall again, he's there to pick you up and say, that's all right, shake it off, try again, keep going. Um, If you want to hear a more in-depth conversation about valleys, you can go back to episode one. Me, Allie, and Casey talk about it from just about every angle. 
Okay, I know that's a lot. And some of you may be thinking like, oh my gosh, like how am I even supposed to move forward in this if the enemy is getting me at every turn and all three tactics that you mentioned? Yep, he's gotten me all three ways. Um, And as I've been reading the screw tape letters, it's been really eye opening, but also it has just weighed me down because chapter after chapter, I uncover a new way, at least to me. Um, that the enemy has been sneaking into my life without me being aware at all. And I know it's easy to feel weighed down and like you can't escape all the deceit and lies and tricks and tactics and um, not to be the bearer of bad news, but you actually can't escape it. (laughs) I told you at the beginning of the episode, your God is real, but so is your enemy. And as long as God is pursuing you, so will the enemy too, unfortunately. And that's why it's helpful to be mindful of his just BS, like many places in scripture say things like the enemy is crouching at your door. He's ready to pounce. All of these descriptions insinuate that he is looking for an opportune time to surprise you with a sneak attack. And what I've learned recently is that it's usually just more sneak than full-blown attack. Um, I love what First Peter 5, 8 through 10 says. It says, be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. And the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ after you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. To him be the power forever and ever. Amen. So the good news is God's mercies are new each day and his grace never runs out and he knows we're going to mess up and he knows we aren't perfect. Like shoot, if Adam and Eve couldn't even make it five seconds, then we are also susceptible to the enemy's schemes. And I think the overall goal is to seek the Lord, keep stumbling towards him until you can walk, stay vigilant and aware of anything the enemy might throw at you along the way. So wherever you find yourself today, just rest assured that God can and will restore you. He will make you strong, firm, and steadfast. Um, And just watch out for the enemy. You're going to get attacked. It's fine. You're going to be okay. But just watch out and keep your eyes on God. All right. Well, that's all for today. And quite honestly, that was exhausting. Um, The enemy just exhausts me. But I'll be back next week with more plays from his playbook. So make sure you're following on whatever platform you're listening on so that you can be notified when new episodes drop, which, by the way, is every Thursday, specifically at 5 a.m. Also, big news. Uh, This past week, we had new listeners in not one, but two new countries. And just a quick shout out to my friends out there listening in China and Pakistan. That is absolutely amazing. Um, I love to see where you guys are listening from, and I would love to hear from you no matter where you're listening from. So if you want to drop me a message, ideas, feedback, questions, whatever, uh, check out the form in the show notes. It would just absolutely make my day to hear from you. And while you're down there in the show notes, you can also find links to any outside resources I mentioned in this episode, as well as a fresh new playlist for the month of May. As always, whether you're in the valley, at the view, or somewhere in between, keep on hiking and we'll see you next time.